Welcome to The Big Beatles Sortout, a show in which I, author and musician Gary Abbott, attempt to finally decide my favourite Beatles recordings by scoring each and every one for lyrical content, musicality and production. I will be assisted in this venture by my brother and resident Beatles expert, Paul Abbott, with a deep knowledge of the Beatles and the wider context in which they operated. Each episode we will explore and score five songs from the Beatles' full recording catalogue. The songs will be drawn at random to try and avoid any favourite album or era prejudices skewing the results as we go along. Thanks for joining us as we try and sort out the Beatles. Welcome to episode two. We have another five random Beatles songs loaded up and awaiting my judgement. But before that, let's say hello to our resident Beatle head, Paul. How are you, Paul? I'm very well, thank you very much. Looking forward to this next selection. Good stuff. Um, before we get on with the next selection, I've decided I'm going to ask you a question each week at this point. Oh no. To, uh, yeah, uh, uh, to further prove your Beatles credentials. Oh heck, and this could go horribly your... <laughs> wrong. <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, and tease out your most secret feelings about them. All right, go on. So first first week, if you were Beatle, what Beatle would you Beatle? Which Beatle would I Beatle if I were Beatle? What I'd... If you were Beatle, what Beatle would you Beatle? Uh, it's very tricky, that one, because I do love them all. And if, But I think being John would be very difficult. I think the, the, the instinct is to become Paul if you had to suddenly be possessed of yeah. the spirit of one of them for multiple reasons. But, but I love them all. I, you know, sometimes you just want to George away from the world, but and <laughs> and just imagine the amount of joy that Ringo's given everyone, but I think for the yeah, for the grand beetle gesture it'd have to be Paul, I think. Uh that's that is correct. No, okay, that's you, good. You, you scored, that's you correct. That's what I thought you'd say and it is what you said, so that is correct. So, shall we crack straight on with the first song then? Go for it. Great stuff. And for the second week running, it's another Harrison Abbey Road classic. And it is Here Comes the Sun. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's alright. Well, like you say, this is another flagship Harrison number from Abbey Road which, as I said in the last one, Abbey Road was released in September of 1969. This, As with most of the things at the time, it was recorded over a fairly longish period, but not in intensive, se- not in spread out sessions, but intensive little things in July and August. So uh, there's a lot to unpack in the production of this song, particularly mm-hmm. the fact that John isn't on it at yes. all, because he's had a car accident up in Scotland at the start of July and the the main recording session for this is basically a week after that. And so funnily enough, yeah, he wasn't on this song mm. and yet it, it remains a Beatles classic, even though John's not there, it's got a beautiful string ensemble on it as well. It's got the Moog on it, George's mm. new toy. And significantly if you want to sort of testament to how good a song it is it's become the most streamed beatles song so as soon as the beatles catalog went online after they'd settled the disputes between apple and apple this has ended up being the most streamed beatles song so what are you going to say about that it's 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 a perfect testament to how good a song it is yeah um that's a really good um fact i did not know that 
It's very interesting. And it is a, a giant of their catalogue, isn't it? Mm. Um, which you've just confirmed there. Um, and I would suspect it's it's one that draws in both your kind of hardcore Beatles fans and your casual Beatles fans. Definitely. And probably even some of those people who claim to not like the Beatles. But it, I think it's because it's one of those kind of timeless songs that feels like it's always been there. Um, and it, Harrison just had to be the, happened to be the one to pluck it out of the ether kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, obviously that's not the case and it's, it exists purely because of his talent as a songwriter, but it just feels that way that that song was always going to get written by somebody. I think it's cause it's based around a quite a simple guitarist's trick, you know, lots of little games played around the D chord shape. Yeah. Uh, even though he's capoed it up. So it gives it that really bright sparkly feel. And the fact that it captures some sort of mood, you know, it's famously written while he was sagging off from the studio. He was just like, I'm going to go home and hang out with Eric at my house, have a day off, sneak off, not not turn up for a session. And this song emerges from it. So good decision, George. But like you say, yeah, so the universality of it might be partly because everyone wants to just take time out and sit in the sunshine. And also it's that simple guitarist's thing that it feels like, well, someone should have written this because it's just little tricks on the D chord and the A chord and, and stuff. But I think the interesting point you make there about it, this universality of it, and like it's been around forever, despite the fact that it has a very new sound on it, the Moog. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think we're talking about the production, we'll get into that, how that, those layers still add to it, even though at, the, at its core is a, is a, is a simple guitar-based um, song. I mean, his acoustic sounds beautiful on this, yeah. and it does, and it it cuts through everything that's sitting on top of it. Which, even though I think they're good things that sit on top of it, it's still fundamentally the acoustic guitar is is ringing through it. Yeah, you can strip it right back to that, and and it's still the song. It's not not reliant on its production. Indeed, uh, and Paul and Ringo, you know, are just hitting every change in their and the transitions really concisely and perfectly. Um, and like I say, John wasn't there, but. From from that point of view, um, it, it, you know, just doing everything that's needed, and I think it holds together beautifully. So, just to make sure I get keep it on the format, I'm going to score the music for Here Comes the Sun, 88, Ooh. which is very high, yeah. and we'll more, we'll move straight into the production because we're kind of talking about it already. It's hard not to with this, but like you say, the Moog, uh, I love the Moog in this. Um, I mean, every there's so much of it. I mean, I, I, you might correct me here on some of what I think is Moog and what isn't Moog, but the little trill rundowns in the intro and the opening verses, you know, the, 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 um, the little descending kind of do yeah, bits. Yeah. That, um, the arpeggio in the middle chorus. Yep. Um, the counter melody in the last verse and chorus. Indeed. And these are, that's all Moog, isn't it? And it's it is, just... yeah. And it's a series of different sounds. You have to remember as well that this isn't a mini Moog. This isn't a little keyboard in a box with a synthesizer that you don't have to, you just, well, you just select a button. This is mm. the big full Moog thing that looks like a telephone exchange. So they, they have wow. to wrangle this instrument to get these sounds out of it, to, to control all these oscillators and various filters and things. Yeah. And the fact that they've got about three or four different Moog sounds on this recording. Yes. But they're very nicely chosen, and I really do love the, the one that's the counter melody. It's almost like a sort of modulated whistle type thing against, yeah. against the voice. Good stuff. Uh, so along with the additional guitars and strings um, you know, that come along with the Moog, I think that the expert touch here, like we were saying, is that the song would work just as well if it was just George and his acoustic. But in this case, the extra layers just seem to keep 
continue to build and elevate the song without it sounding overproduced. It would be so easy for one of the, the a song like this, which um, would work just as a as a voice and guitar, to just kind of get muddied up with layers. But Martin, his peak, I think here, with with this kind of production is able to layer them so expertly and add with every new thing that's put on. And I'm going to score the production 81. Um, so on to the lyrics. And not a great deal to say about the lyrics. Um, I think George has finally caught up with Lennon and McCartney in, in stretching a simple idea perfectly over a whole song without it needing to really say much at all uh, and also sounding effortless, really. Um, and unless I'm missing something... No. And I think you alluded to this earlier with his um, day um, with uh, Eric Clapton. It's um, pretty straightforward and a lovely message, but um, but it isn't very complex. I'm going to score the lyrics 61, mm-hmm. which brings the overall rating to 76.7, thrusting it to the top of the leaderboard so far. Oh, I do wonder what's going to go above this, really. That's going to be interesting. Well, yeah, we'll have to see. It's one of my absolute favourites. It is. It's 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 a beautiful song. Um, next up, then um, we have the continuing story of Bungalow Bill. Hey, Bungalow Bill, what did you kill? Bungalow Bill. Hey, Bungalow Bill, what did you kill? Bungalow Bill. We went out tiger hunting. A little novelty slice from the Beatles, the White Album. So 1968, a single session song, 8th of October, 1968. And I I suppose not to play any songs off against each other. We've just had Here Comes the Sun, this this sort of amazing, universal, warm, magical song. And we've got something very, very different here. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad at all. It certainly isn't. I love the continuing story of Bungalow Bill. This is our first little bit of Ringo making a big noise on something, even though it's not his lead vocal, but he stands out on this as, a, as you know, that big gang group sort of attitude that they've got going on. They've got all the people in the studio, all the, the wives and girlfriends and friends are there. Mm. This has got the Mellotron on it, mm. played by Chris Thomas. And, uh, yeah, I like it. It's it's typical... Lennon McCartney well it's it's Lennon McCartney song but it's it's very much Lennon very Lennon image, imagery and sort of picked mm. out of popular culture s- selections and things from real life that they've, he's heard about or experienced so off the back of their trip to India so it's 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 great good <laughs> well I mean strangely I think there's a lot to get in, stuck into with this one but also not very much at all. I mean, mm-hmm. from a music point of view, in that it, it is a bonkers song, but it's built around a, a relatively simple chord progression. Um, and when you listen, listening to it, the, the rhythm backing is, is quite thin, really. It's pretty much a guitar, isn't it? With quite a, a really heavy low end yeah, from the is. from the electric from the bass and the um, and the, the the drum kit pushing it along. Um, those are your main. Those are the the, the most prominent things in there. But then you get all these added bits from the Mellotron and whatnot to keep the interest up and obviously all the voices in the room, um, especially that kind of double-picked mandolin loop that they yeah. use. So that's um, the Mellotron, the yeah. On the Mellotron, yeah. So um, so the Mellotron, they've used this before, have they, by this point? Is, is this another one where they're using it for the first time? Well, famously, it's, it's first used on Strawberry Fields. 
So it's the year before, essentially. Yeah, so musically, um, the personality of, of this song, I think, is where its heart is. But musically, there's not that much to it. So from a music point of view, I'm only going to score it 58. But I think that's because, it, it, it's to me, it, it, it lies more with the, the, um, the lyrics and the, the character of the song, which we'll get to. Um, so moving on to the production, um, I, I, I suspect as with many of the White Album tracks, that this wasn't exactly what George Martin would have had them make if, he, if he'd had his way. I'm not sure if he was actually in on the session. He's credited as the producer, but of course, at this time, when they're doing the White Album, very often the different Beatles are off around different places working on different things. So you're never entirely sure how much of it was actually Martin and how much of it was the engineers or even Chris Thomas himself, who played the Mellotron on this, who, you know, he was working essentially as a producer as a sort of co-producer in, in a lot of cases so I, without doing a load of deep research to to check on this i'd um yeah i don't know it sits on the album fine because it's a it's yeah. an eclectic album so but it's, it's a vehicle for the sheer fun of the song mm. and i don't think it's meant to be high high fi in, in any way um and it, i suffer slightly for that but so i'm going to award it 53 for production um and get onto the lyrics which is where i think you know, it, it really stands up. Um, for me, just as a listener to the song, without any research, Bungalow Bill conjures up a kind of Rudyard Kipling-esque picture book of colonial hunters making their way through a, a dense undergrowth. Yeah. Um, it always makes me think of the um, sketch in Monty Python to the Meaning of Life with the um, the missing leg and the tiger. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that that, that they, those images play in my head when I hear this song. Um but I guess there is more to it then, Paul. I mean, who who is Bungalow Bill? Well, the story goes that because obviously this is one of the songs written during the sort of trip to India or after the trip to India, and there was a guy there at the Maharishi's camp called Richard A. Cook the uh, vis- Third, who was visiting some. Well, he was visiting his mother, who was on the on this retreat with the Maharishi who would, and he'd, he'd go off and shoot tigers and then sort of come back and do some meditating. It's, it's, which obviously Lennon found baffling is that yeah. you'd be sat there sort of celebrating oneness, the universe being, you know, selflessness, all that stuff. He'd go off and do some shooting. And then shoot some animals. So. Yeah. So essentially that's what it, and then he just took a load of sort of comic book ideas and crammed them around it. Uh, they're fun lyrics and they're witty and they're full of personality. Um, which is why I'm scoring them 72, which gives us an overall average for Bungalow Bill of 61. So let's move on then to Yes It Is. If you were red tonight, remember what I said tonight. For Paul, what can you tell us about Yes It Is? So we've shot back to 1965 and mm. the B-side of Ticket to Ride, which is, I well, I'll get on to why I think that's a bit strange in a second. It's a three-part harmony game, really, the song. It's got the significant musical thing of George's volume pedal on his guitar is the main musical feature that's different from some other stuff as well. And... Yeah, so, I mean, Ticket to Ride was obviously on the charts at number one for ages, so this was the flip side of it. I don't know how often people would have flipped over to, to Yes It Is, really. it's I find them quite hard to 
picture in the same bracket in my mind because I didn't come to them together as a single. So, yeah, three-part harmonies, volume pedals, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a rare thing um, for me in that when I came to listen to this, it's actually one of the few Beatles songs I'm, I'm really not that familiar with. Um, obviously, I, I have heard it before, I know that much, but it can't have been that often. I like half of this song very much, you know. And when it first came on, I thought, wow, how have I let this one slip past me, really? The, the verses are lovely. Um, and the kind of second part of the chorus with the act, you know, the actual, yes, it is, hook. Um, but the first half of the chorus doesn't work for me at all. Well, the I could I could be happy with you by my side bit. Yeah, that it just seems a bit meandering, not quite. Just just doesn't seem like his strongest work. They do it better in in um they do the kind of melody for this kind of tune better in this boy. Yeah, it's it's, it's of the, similar. It's of the same ilk, really. Yeah. Um, but I do like I do love the bits that are okay, but I'm still only going to give it a 38 for the music. For wow, from the production point of view, you've said you know we we are in the area where a lot of the work is going into the the voices, yeah. and that they, they that they're doing a lot of at this time, and um, they, they could definitely nail those harmonies. Um, and but from George Martin's point of view, as you know from doing production yourself getting that many voices recorded and working together along with music isn't an easy task, even with modern technology. Um, so he's done a great job with that. And like you said, for the added interest, we do have that volume pedal, which sounds great for the most part, you know. But there is, like you say, a, I think there's one prominent mistake I hear. So I'm going to give it a 49 for production, which I think, you know, redeems it slightly because it is, it is, a, it is interesting. Lyrics-wise, you, you said you were... Um, you thought it had an interesting lyrical bent on it. What, in what way? There's sort of a a melancholy to it, which is very, very much a Lennon thing because it's a Lennon song. You know, it's yeah. it's and that's quite unusual for the type of songs he was writing at the time. But it's sort of reflective and pondering. And there's sort of is it a bit like Babies in Black in that you sort of thinking, you know. If if she wears red, baby's in black. Is it something yeah. a bit deeper, representative of loss or something like that? It's. I think it's got something there other than just being. I was with her. Now, now I'm with you. I am sad. <laughs> I think actually it's funny you're saying baby's in black and having already mentioned um, uh, this boy. So that's frustrating. I feel like they've just done it better with with some of those ones. I mean, it, Lennon it, Lennon himself admitted that he was a sort of. A sort of rewrite of of this boy. I mean, from a lyrics point of view, I'm not going to say much. With the line "Scarlet were the clothes she wore," everybody knows, I'm sure. There's not much to it, really. But yeah. um, I, I, do, I do agree; it's very nice and melancholy. I do. I, I must stress, I really love the verse. <laughs> I really do. Mm-hmm. I just think it's not a complete song. But for the lyrics, I'm going to give 41, which means overall it gets 42.7. Would you like an interesting fact about this? I would love an interesting fact, please. It was featured on a cassette release called Only the Beatles, which was put out by Heineken Beer and DMI. You know, this is mid, this is 1986 and, and they're sort of trying, okay. to get, trying to get their affairs in order and not just be taken advantage of by their by record labels who had some 
control of tapes and things. So, but the cover of this thing that I've seen, if anyone looks it up online, it's it's a dreadful, dreadful looking thing, like with a cover with McCartney from the Hamburg days, Ringo's dressed in his Sergeant Pepper outfit, George looks like he's probably from White Album era and john in one of his 1963 suits it's just a, such a terrible mishmash strange isn't it what a strange thing so next up um we have old brown shoe Paul, Old Brown Shoe. Yes, Old Brown Shoe. Another George song. We're sort of, um, I hope we don't burn out all the George choices too quickly on this random thing because we've had three of them now. But we're at the uh, the later end of the Beatles career again here. This is the B-side of the Ballad of John and Yoko, which was released on the 30th of May 1969. It was recorded in a, a couple of days in, in April of that year. And it's another one of these ones that's, one that a lot of people aren't familiar with for, for reasons pertaining to similar to the last one we were talking of, talking about because it, it's a strange B-side, essentially, and if you didn't have past masters, you might not know it. Paul's on drums on this one because Ringo was off filming The Magic Christian, I believe. Then there's a question over who was actually playing the bass on it. It's Some people say it's George, some people say it's Paul... The official line is it's the, it was Paul, according to the most recent Abbey Road box set. But uh, yeah, it's it's essentially a, a strange Harrison B-side. This weird sort of scar piano thing going on through it. It's it's a curio, this one, definitely. I've only heard this a very few times. Um, and it almost felt like the first time when I came to listen to it for my, you know, to, to put my notes together, but I know it, it can't be, it surely can't be. Um, and I think it started to kind of ring some bells after I'd listened to it for a little while, but I really like it. Oh, it's <laughs> I a really, great song. really like it. it. It's one of those ones I'm thinking I'm going to listen to a lot more and make sure I listen to a lot more. I, I like hearing Harrison, um, kind of let loose. I wouldn't be surprised if it is Harrison playing the bass because it doesn't sound like a McCartney bass line. Well, it's doubling a guitar part. So if you if you learn the guitar part and you do that, you're likely to sort of go, well, I'll just do the bass part as well. Yeah. Because you've learned that pattern on under your fingers, as it were. And my funny feeling about this is it's always sounded so standalone out of all of the Beatles recordings. This one sounds like almost like it was produced in a different place by a different producer, almost like by different musicians sometimes. I, yeah. I still have a strange... This is my one for unfamiliarity and was for a very, very long time. I think mm. it's... Well, I'll explain where I first heard it. Is There was a compilation released, I think it was released in 1970, called Hey Jude, which wasn't, right. wasn't released initially in the UK, but you could sort of... I think you could get it import. We had a copy in our house for a long time. Yeah, I, thi- yeah. I think I've got it uh, mine now. A, a, cassette, a, a cassette version, one of those sort of yeah. opaque cassettes which presumably our parents got from when they lived in Germany, which is where they got a bunch of their records. Right. Um, Because it was released in Germany. And that's another one of these mad compilations where you sort of started very early in the career and then you suddenly got some of these oddities on there, one of which is Old Brown Shoe. I was very surprised to find out it was a B-side to A Ballad of John and Yoko. 
it's strange because it borders into kind of almost sounding like 70s rock and roll pastiche. But yeah, in, it, yeah. But in a good way, like not not in a grim way kind of thing. But it's got that blues rhythm and country slide guitars, but then it has rock chord changes. And George has got, a re- I, I think his melody is kind of menacing over the top of it. Yeah. And it's, but it's like a jam as well. It's like a jam, but a jam of the kind of highest order, I think. So I'm I think give that's it, a good way of thinking about it. Yeah. Well, uh, that's why I'm going to give it 76. Oh. Uh, I know, it's, it's taken me by surprise. I almost fell off my chair. <laughs> um, from a production point of view, um, you've mentioned it, it sounds quite apart from everything else. I think a lot of that is about, is about the writing of the song. Because from a recording point of view, although I, I think how the instruments are being played is quite different, but the honky-tonk-style piano that, that's going all the way through, I mean, that's kind of a staple of the Beatles sound, isn't it, at this point? It turns up in quite a few things. Yeah, it was what they call tack piano, where you sort of got a very hmm. brittle sound to it. But it's been played on the offbeat, so it's, it almost becomes like a scar thing. But uh, yeah, it's got that very, it's got a very brittle sound. Yeah. Uh, but apart from that, it's quite a straightforward rocker jam in the sense that it's it's nicely balanced and and everything's going at the same time it all sounds fine until and this I don't know if this is just the version I've heard when I've listened to it for this for some reason it gets to the outro and and it jumps up about 5 decibels or something yeah it's mm. it's I just think it's an odd one I think they tried a few little studio things with the vocals like putting Harrison in a different position in the studio that he would normally be that they'd normally put any other singers at things like that and I think that all just contributes to it being a strange thing I think John struggled to actually figure out a guitar part to play on it so it doesn't play guitar I think is the implication from what I've I've read it's yeah oh it's odd Mm. so I'm going to give it 58 for production um for the lyrics um I mean the blues format makes the lyrics kind of you know, quite mundane in that, that you have a, a couple of lines repeating quite a lot. But there are some nice fun lines in there. There's a line, isn't there? I want to be a singer with a ring on every finger. Do you think that's that's got to be a little nod to Ringo? Hasn't oh, absolutely, it? must be. Yeah, it's a lovely little nod to Ringo as well because it's it's just a bit of fun. So I'm going to give it 57 for the lyrics and overall of 63.7, no. which is interestingly high, which we'll see later when we look at the um, the positionings. Finally, then, we have fixing a hole. I'm fixing a hole where the rain gets in And stops my mind from wandering where it will go I'm feeling the cracks Fixing a hole, Paul. A Sergeant Pepper album track? So we know that that's released in uh, June of 1967. This was recorded in February of 67 in a couple of sessions. It's got George Martin on harpsichord, one of the main sort of sound features of it. It's got some interesting production sort of bits and pieces, like it was recorded at a studio called Regent Sound first before they finished it in Abbey Road, which makes it quite significant because that was the first ever session they'd done away from Abbey Road for for something that was going to be a proper Beatles track. So there's a little little side bit of history to it there as well. It's got one of my absolute favourite Beatles guitar sounds on it as well. Mm. And there's a few interesting bits and pieces going on. It's not a perfectly performed song by any means, 
but I do love it. It's one of my favourites on Sergeant Pepper. Okay. Um, I mean, we're back to something here that I've heard a lot. So we've, we've, we're away from the obscure and back into very solid territory for me now. Um, and also into the melancholic Paul territory, which I don't think we've yet um, touched upon in, in um, the first two episodes so far. Um, it's still quite upbeat. Though, when he gets his hair off about silly people running around, it kind of goes all major and jumpy, and it kind of it, the the way it moves between the kind of minor, the hauntingness of the minor sections, and then the the jumpiness of the the major the major sections to a point where it almost creates a, a kind of a key of its own that only this song exists within. Yeah, right. uh, and and you know when Paul um, starts singing like at the end when he's riffing his the melody and he kind of then starts to hit kind of Indian scale type of sounding. Well, um, yeah, that was in the air anyway in in Beatles land at the time. Yeah. So, but yeah. it just adds to this whole this 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 um, soup of this song, which 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 I think is just bafflingly good. Yeah, it's got sort of augmented chords and sort of weird little semitone movement in in sort of the lyric uh, in the melody and things like that, which mm. gives it its sort of its character. It's it's fantastic, and so for the music, it's getting a very high eighty nine from me. Um, so yeah, and onto the production. You said about George Martin also um, playing the harpsichord and the the, the hi hat um, that goes along with it, kind of setting the tone for the, the staccato kind of rhythm of this, which just leaves loads of space, you know, acres of space for those those lush Harrison fills to fall in, which I guess is that guitar sound you were talking about. Yeah, with all the treble boosted on the on the Stratocaster and uh, mm. my one of my favourite guitar solos in there as well. People do, are debating again if it was a Paul McCartney solo, which, you know, it, it could have been, given that Paul was doing solos on a lot of his own stuff anyway and is a fantastic mm. guitarist. But I believe it is actually George double-tracking, so you get those nice little harmony guitar moments in there as well and the sort of linking sections. But I love the solo. Oh, just mm. it's just one of my favourite guitar sounds of all time. Yeah, it's 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 great, and it, it it just comes in and out and and links the sections together as well in the other parts of the song. And I think Martin never pushes it too far. Um, with this with the instrumentation, he keeps he keeps them light and well placed. And yet there are fluffs in the bass part. I think that get through. Are there? I must have must have um, I didn't know. I must have missed them. Yeah, there is. There's a little. There's a couple of little fumbles in there, and there's a little bit where it sort of changes from a sort of swung rhythm to a, a straight rhythm in the fade out, and you sort of notice it and go, "What was that? Did they do that deliberately?" But okay. you know, it doesn't detract from the whole of the song. The whole. Okay. Ah, 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 which needs fixing. Um, so I'm. Well, I'm. I'm. I'm going to go. I'm. Uh, although you've you pointed those out, um, they didn't. They didn't kind of make it to my ears on my listening through, and I'm scoring it. A um, ninety for production. Heck, it is. It's a. It's a. It's. It's a biggie. Um, leave, leaving us just with the lyrics to talk about. And uh, as we've said, it's a a, lo- a lovely motif about the perils of daydreaming, um, and what it can uh, lead you to and or make you avoid. Mixed up a bit with a rant about kind of hangers-ons and and fans, I guess. Well, this is this is adjacent to that because you're talking about, or McCartney's talking about the idea of the fans trying to get in and and, mm. and get a piece of the Beatles. And what actually happened was one of the sessions for this, <laughs> McCartney went to set off, and a guy had turned up at his house in St John's Wood, so not far from Abbey Road, 
McCartney's about to go up to the studio and this guy turns up and says, hello, Paul, I'm Jesus Christ. Ah, And so Paul says, oh, that's nice, but I've got to get to the studio. So if if you're quiet, you can come with us. (laughs) So this guy (laughs) comes to the studio. Paul says, hey, I've brought Jesus Christ with me. Uh, Everyone goes ahead. They start recording this song. The guy sits in the corner, leaves at the end. They never see him again. Okay. (laughs) So... So that was happening whilst they were recording this, yeah, this song. Yeah. So he didn't inform the song, but he he was he was there. But it was throughout. a person who turned up to get a bit of McCartney. See, he did get through. Well, he didn't get through his door, but he got through some of the doors with him. Yeah. So I'm going to give it a 69 for the lyrics because it is a it is a nice amalgam of two ideas that that, that, that draw an interesting link, which brings the total um, average for fixing a hole to 82.7. Right. So there we have it, another five ranked, which gives us our first top ten. Oh, great. Here's the rundown with this week's movers and shakers. Fixing a hole goes straight in at number one. And behind it um, is Here Comes the Sun at number two. Something has um, moved down a couple of places to number three. Old Brown Shoe has a new entry at number four. Day Tripper moves down two places to number five. The continuing story of Bungalow Bill debuts at number six. You Really Got a Hold on Me goes down four places to number seven. And You Won't See Me is down four places also to number eight. Yes It Is goes in at number nine. And lastly, we have You're Going to Lose That Girl in 10th place, down five places. So after two weeks now, Paul, we've got our first kind of set of songs pushing others up and down the charts. Yeah. And we have already, um, we have um, two, like you said, well, we've got three Harrison songs in the top five songs, which does make me worry slightly, you know, will will it stay that way? Have we have we peaked Harrison too soon? Well, it's just the nature of the random pick, isn't it? I mean, we couldn't have sort of guessed that you would do those Here Comes the Sun and Something in the first couple of weeks, because I would imagine that they would remain up towards the top, but who knows? That's what we're here for. Yes, well, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll try and find ways to figure out how we uh, summarise these as so many more are getting added on. I mean, what thing I will do, be doing um, is you should, can see the full ongoing and the weekly charts by visiting my website, um, garyabbott.co.uk, which is Gary with two R's and Abbott with two B's and two T's. Or you can check in on my Twitter feed at Gary underscore Abbott, and I will post up each week's chart and the um, full chart as we go along. Um, but thanks once again, Paul, for your invaluable support. Um, is there anything you'd like to tell the listeners about? No, just keep on checking out particularly my new podcast, which is the Head Ballet podcast. Look for at Head Ballet on everything, Head Ballet pod even, which is the Novelty Song podcast and dig into some weird little nuggets. Good stuff. Um, Right, well, thank you very much, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.